I remember my first time. It was January 31st, 1999, and happened right after the Falcons got beat by the Broncos in Super Bowl 33. I was only 16 years old, a sophomore in high school. Some people think that's too young to partake in this sort of activity, but not me. I was ready. This is when I first watched Family Guy. But if you're curious, I wasn't deflowered until later in life. Much, much later. Even today, 18 years after it first aired, it remains one of my favorite shows. And imagine my joy when just days after I wrote and recorded our first episode dope song, Family Guy releases an episode called Peter's Def Jam, where in the opening scene, Peter and his pals decide to start a podcast. Do you think homeless people ever have sex with each other? Probably, but I don't want to think about it. I know for a fact they do. I spend most of my day breaking up in-progress homeless sex. I bet it stink. Oh, it stink, all right. Hey, you know what, guys? This right here, this rambling, boring conversation containing already made-before observations... This could be a podcast. It's actually not a bad idea. If that wasn't good enough, in a later scene, they sit down to record their second episode, and Peter asks, Okay, common question that everybody thinks about. How many fourth graders do you think you could take at once? What? I mean, obviously, if you had to fight against a million fourth graders, you'd lose. So, like, what's, what's the real number? Like, what's the legitimate number of fourth graders that you could successfully take on? Let's you say, see, uh, a lot of the time when people hear the phrase, there's no such thing as a dumb question, they take it as a challenge. We had one guy on Twitter ask us, how tomorrow, blue potato, which I answered perfectly, by the way, and you can check out the exchange on our Facebook page. Some people get surprisingly defensive. We even received a couple of comments and messages where people seem to be screaming through the keyboards at us that there are, in fact, dumb questions. Well, we disagree. Within any question, no matter how silly or poorly asked, there is a well-thought-out answer. So with that being said... How many fourth graders can you fight at once? This week, I'm faced with creating a challenger to meet and fight a bunch of fourth graders. I'm going to write into my will directions to clear all my browsing history when I'm gone from this world. This podcast has led me to Googling a lot of weird stuff, probably putting me on some list somewhere. Everything is done on the internet. All right, so we got to get you on Facebook. Let me just close a couple of these windows. There we go. Sorry, I was up late last night. I had the house to myself. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. A lot of POV stuff. Yeah, I like to pretend it's mine down there what's doing all the slapping. Let's lay out some averages for the human species first. The average American male is 5.775 feet tall and weighs about 195 and a half pounds. While the average American woman is 5.32 feet tall and weighs 166.2 pounds. For perspective, I found the tallest average males and females come from Bosnia, averaging six and a half feet tall and 156 pounds for males, while the Bosnian women hold their tallest average title at five feet seven and a half inches and weighing 147 pounds. Obviously, weight and height alone isn't sufficient enough to gauge a person's ability to fight. It's easy to assume that when presented with two fighters, the larger, potentially stronger candidate is a shoe-in for a win. As a male of short stature my entire life, I assure you that assumption leads to poor estimations on the assumer. If this were true, every tall person would end up on the Olympics. Stand back, Brian. I'm preparing for my vault. You can't vault inside the living room. You're going to get hurt. Yeah, I'll get hurt right onto a Wheaties box. I don't see that happening. Yeah, who cares what you say? You're a dog. You can't see colors, which means you can't see the colors of the American flag. Call me. 
Olympians are allegedly supposed to represent the fastest, strongest, and best of the represented country. There's more than a hundred years of modern Olympians breaking human records, which really makes you think how an Olympian from a hundred years ago would fare against the upcoming 2020 Tokyo Olympics. Every few years, we're reminded that we're reaching the limits of athletical potential, yet records still get broken. When a single Olympian breaks a record, it's like all other athletes get motivated and the notion of possibility further expands. Even through precise calculations of the max power output, oxygen utilization, and heart function, it's been difficult to pinpoint the physical limitations of a human. One simple answer to the continuous record breakings occurring is a matter of numbers. Availability in more sports and new countries with new candidates continue to join the Olympics and break records. Just last year, the refugee Olympic team was created and competed under the Olympic flag. Dear refugee athletes, you are sending a message of hope to all the many millions of refugees around the globe. It's not necessary that humans are getting faster, stronger, or abusing performance-enhancing drugs. It's minute changes that can increase performance. Maybe it's evolution, but that's clearly too soon to tell. Evolution occurs on a long timeline and difficult to identify. Take Michael Phelps. At his first appearance at the Olympics, he came fifth in the 200-meter butterfly at the age of 15. During his second Olympic appearance, he took home six gold and two bronze medals. Clear improvements, but what you may not know is that Phelps has a size 14 foot, as well as double-jointed ankles that may be giving him his edge, with a bend that is 15 degrees more than the average swimmer, propelling him like a pair of fins. If you hold your arms out and measure your wingspan, for the average person, this will be equivalent to your height, but for Phelps, this is a clear three inches longer. So when it comes to a fight, what's more important? Is it height and weight, or is it mental capacity and the ability to strategize, or as a final curveball, is it all instinct and our need to survive at all costs? If you're thinking it's height and weight, then I'd like you to remember Bruce Lee and his one-inch punch. Which, by the way, isn't a physics impossibility, but instead a representation of peak human fitness. A combination of leg strength, torque at his hips, shoulder strength, and finally, a flick of the wrist. These, when stitched together, is called kinetic linking. It becomes the cup. You put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put in a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Now, water can flow or it can crash. Water, my friend. If you're thinking it's mental capacity, then keep in mind there are plenty of geniuses who couldn't lift a fist if their life depended on it. But that's hardly a fair comparison. Take George St. Pierre and Anderson Silva, some of the best strategy UFC fighters who study their opponents and prior fights to determine their unnoticed weaknesses. GSP relies on diversity and unpredictability, while Silva is a risk taker based on the foundation he's built about his opponent. Or is it all just about the right combination of physical and mental traits? Now that we know the averages for an adult, what about a fourth grader? The average size of a nine-year-old in America is about four foot five inches tall and about 64 pounds for both boys and girls. To be honest, that sounds pretty light, but that's about the size of four Thanksgiving turkeys. Let's say, for whatever reason that I'm not going to judge you for, you had a fourth grader in your luggage on a flight you would almost certainly have to pay overweight luggage fees. I would advise against doing that, by the way, and if you have done it, I wouldn't do it again. 
I told you, I'm not judging you. I'm sure you have your reasons. Maybe you can't afford to buy the extra ticket. Maybe you're flying United and it's for their own protection. Hell, maybe the kid has a habit of missing their flight and ruining the family vacation. And this is the best way to make sure it doesn't happen a third time. You gotta do what you gotta do. What is the matter with you? He started it. He hit my feet on purpose. He knows I ate sausage and olives and Look what you did, you little jerk. Macaulay Culkin went jigsaw on Joe Pesci and his sidekick on a day's notice. Granted, it was more my cousin Vinny Pesci than Goodfellas Pesci, but that's still pretty impressive for an 8 and 10 year old to do. A kid at that age may look pretty small, but like Liam Neeson, with the right skill set and motivation, they can do some damage. Does the name Richard Sandrak ring a bell to you? Richard Sandrak was once famous for being the strongest boy in the world. At age 8, he had bulging biceps like a champion bodybuilder, washboard abs, and moved like a contortionist. You might know him by the name Little Hercules. He's the child bodybuilder whose pictures are used on clickbait articles even today. When he was about the age of a fourth grader, he could bench press over 200 pounds, almost triple his body weight at the time. He's not the only one like him. Naomi Kooten, who's named Supergirl, squatted 215 pounds when she was just 10 years old. There's a kid who could lift over 300 pounds at 14. Add to that the black belt he achieved five years before, you've got a pretty dangerous kid on your hands. Lifting 300 pounds is tough for most adults to do, so don't feel bad if you can. In fact, you were probably bigger and stronger than most of your ancestors were at that age. As it turns out, fourth graders are significantly larger than they were 40 years ago. Girls are about a full inch taller than they used to be, while boys are about an inch and a third taller today than they were in the 70s. So is a generation of young giants sprouting up? Most likely not. Kids are also wider than generations before. Both changes in height and build can be attributed to changes in eating habits. Mm. This meatloaf is a symphony of flavor. It's too bad you can't have some. It's practically orgasmic. Oh, yes! Yes! Oh! Oh! I'll have what he's having. Children are eating better than generations before, but they're also eating more and moving around less. All over the world, children are less active and less healthy than their parents were as kids. This is mostly due to a cultural shift, where kids spend more time watching TV or playing video games than doing anything physically demanding. Even socializing with friends is done more online than by hanging out at the park. Many researchers say that this lifestyle shift can lead to serious health problems as they get older. Children today seem to have greater potential for physical fitness, but are falling behind in reaching that potential. The growth is tied to nutrition. The generational growth gap in wealthier countries has started to plateau and even decline. Countries where large portions of its population are mountaineers have seen consistent growth because they had the most room for improvement. It's also why people are living longer than generations before them. Children today take 90 seconds longer to run a mile than kids did 30 years ago, according to data from 28 countries. Children's aerobic fitness has declined by 5% since 1975, while the obesity rate has gone up from 6% to 20%. Damn you, ice cream! Come to my mouth! How dare you disobey me! For kids just in the 12 to 19 year age range, the obesity rate is even higher at 32%. The effect of childhood obesity doesn't just stop at children's waistlines. Several credible publications like Pediatrics and Human Reproduction have linked obesity to early puberty, particularly in girls. In a seven-year study tracking more than 1,200 girls published by Pediatrics in 2013, researchers noticed that those with a higher body mass index experienced puberty earlier. Young girls are hitting puberty earlier than ever, and doctors aren't sure why. 15% of girls are reaching puberty as young as just seven years old. Why is this happening? Body fat releases estrogen, which contributes to breast development. 
Another significant factor on when a girl has her period is stress from their environment. Girls who had poor parental support or depressed parents experienced their first hormonal changes earlier than other children. Puberty puts kids in a state of anxiety that affects their judgment and increases stress. A fourth grader in this day and age could be two years deep into puberty. It makes kids taller, bigger, faster, stronger. It makes it harder for them to think on their feet while also making them more aggressive. It pretty much turns your nine-year-old Bruce Banner into a miniature Incredible Hulk. Alters his body chemistry. And now, whenever Stewie Griffin grows angry or outraged, a startling metamorphosis occurs. Ow, I hurt myself changing this tire! It's already tough to deal with kids when they're being rude or obnoxious. One kid can be a handful, two can be overwhelming, but imagine a classroom full of kids coming at you. How many could you handle before throwing in the towel? Fortunately for children and humanity, puberty doesn't last forever, only about two to five years. It feels like an eternity while you're going through it, but with it starting earlier and humans living longer, it's only a few grains of sand in life's hourglass. Now we all know this question is tongue in cheek, but there are in fact some real life scenarios in which a grown man may have to fight a large group of children. All across the world, children have been used by gangs and in war. The 2002 movie City of God is loosely based on real-life events where children of Brazilian favelas joined gangs and carried out some horrific crimes. And this really happens. Economic situations in some of Brazil's poor neighborhoods often push kids toward a life of crime, with some of them joining as early as age 10, the same age as a typical fourth grader in the U.S. Now obviously, 10-year-olds in Brazil aren't willingly joining gangs. Oftentimes, they're forced into it by older members using them to carry out crimes, knowing that the sentencing for children is far less and harsh. Just to the north of Brazil, in Colombia, guerrillas and paramilitary groups have been known to enlist children as young as eight. In fact, in 2001, FARC, or the Fuerzas Armadas Revolucionarias de Colombia, released a video of a 10-year-old shooting a missile. Natalia Springer has interviewed over 500 former child soldiers, and she says over 40,000 Colombian kids are at risk of being recruited by the FARC and other illegal armed groups. Over in Europe, it wasn't unusual for Serbian and Croatian militias to use children as young as 10 during the Balkan Wars of the 1990s. In fact, some theorize that it was because of these wars and the atrocities that people in the region witnessed that led to what many people considered to be the most disturbing movie of all time, a Serbian film. This was backed up by the film's director when he said, and I quote, Serbsky's film does not touch on war themes, but in a metaphorical way deals with the consequences of post-war society and a man that is exploited to the extreme in the name of securing the survival of his family. This is all pretty bad, but hang on to your hats because it gets so much worse. In Africa, it's estimated that nearly 120,000 children of varying ages have been used as combatants in various wars on the continent. The Islamic group Boko Haram has even been known to drug children and use them as suicide bombers. In Nigeria and its neighboring countries, the insurgents of Boko Haram are using more and more child suicide bombers, according to UNICEF. So far this year, 27 children have blown themselves up in the name of the armed Islamist group. That's three times more than a year ago. Now, these are all extreme cases used by the bad guys of the world. But to be fair, how young is too young? Inquisitor Jesus Hernandez from Fort Worth, Texas once asked us, Why is it in the U.S. you can join the military at 18, but you can't drink until you're 21? This is a great question, and I've heard it many times before. 
And we'll answer it in an upcoming episode. But here's a little tidbit that might blow your mind. 18 isn't the youngest age to join the military in the U.S. You can join when you're 17. The law does state that you need parental consent and that you're not allowed to be stationed outside of the contiguous United States or to be deployed into combat. But mistakes happen. And in 2003 and 2004, over 50 Americans below the age of 18 have been deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan. It's unknown if any of them actually saw combat, but the situation was quickly rectified with steps put in place to prevent it from happening ever again. Oh, if you're wondering, the youngest U.S. soldier ever to be killed in combat was Dan Bullock during the Vietnam War in 1969. Altered his birth certificate and enlisted at the age of 14. Private Bullock arrived in Vietnam in May of 1969 and was killed in action less than a month later during a firefight. Private Bullock was 15 years old. Personally, I question the due diligence of the people checking this kid's paperwork, especially since this was a highly unpopular war, struggling to find willing troops. Well, now that we got the fun stuff out of the way, let's get down to business. As hilarious as it may be, we just can't go throw an adult into a ring with a bunch of fourth graders, then count it down until the grown-up taps out. It's unethical. Though I'm sure we all know kids we want to punch. So how do you go about answering this question as scientifically as possible without actually doing just that? Well, let's use the scientific method. 1. Ask a question. As directly asked by Peter Griffin, the question is, how many fourth graders do you think you can take at once? 2. Do background research. From our research, we've learned the average size of an adult, the average size of a child, their largest children, the largest adults, the average time it takes for an adult to run a mile, the average time it takes for a child to run a mile, and the general mental capacity of a child or an adult to think something through during a fight. 3. Identify variables. Now this question has a ton of variables. First, we need to remove the use of weapons, so no child soldiers. Second, we need it to be as fair as possible, so it can't be a fight between The Undertaker and the cast of Girl Meets World, or Stephen Hawking versus the Children of the Corn. Third, it has to be on a level playing field, so sorry Peter, you can't just funnel them into a doorway and kick them in the head. Let's assume the fight has taken place inside of a ring. So for the sake of the question, we're going to assume that the adult in this scenario is a male that stands about 5'7 and weighs 195 pounds. He can run a mile in about 9 minutes and generally has a good capacity to think things through during a fight. The fourth graders in this scenario stand at an average 4'5. Their weight is 64 pounds. They can also run a mile in about 9 minutes, but because of their age and the beginning stages of puberty, they generally don't have a great capacity to think things through. 4. Create a hypothesis. Now, the scientific method has several other steps beyond this, but given that we can't actually put our hypothesis to test, this is where we have to stop. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. Assuming that an adult would even want to follow through on a fight with children, and that those same children wouldn't be scared to death to fight a grown man, it's not out of the realm of possibility to think that he could take out the first two rather easy, with numbers three and four being only a bit more difficult. 
But the onslaught of fourth graders would start to wear down the adult. With everyone that he knocked down, another two feisty Thanksgiving turkey-sized humans would be there to absorb more energy. While the adult has enough stamina to run a mile in nine minutes, that's not the same as actively trying to fight off a wave of bloodthirsty nine-year-olds. In addition, it can be assumed that some of these kids would be able to conserve some of that energy as the attack on the adult would be dispersed amongst more than one child. I averaged the total numbers Cordero, Danny, and I estimated and combined them with feedback from dads with sons in the same age bracket. Then I found the average of those estimates. In the end, we hypothesized that the average adult male could fight 10 fourth graders before ultimately being overwhelmed. But how does our estimate stack up compared to that of a trained fighter who teaches kids how to fight for a living? Enter Luis Mata. Hi, my name is Luis Mata. I know Luis from my bouncing days in the Soho district of Tampa. I'm a Mataroyo brown belt with about 10 years experience in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. When it came time to doing this episode, I knew I needed the perspective of somebody that watches kids fight every day. I teach in two gyms in Tampa and Riverview, Gracie Brandon and Gracie Tampa South. And I teach kids Jiu-Jitsu and kids self-defense. So how many fourth graders does Lewis think an adult could fight at one time? I'll let him tell it. I told him I think it would take about nine kids exactly at that weight. That's about 600 pounds and nine individual little human beings trying to take you out. The way I would have them do it is four go after the leg, two on each arm, and probably like the tallest, lankiest 64 pounder to jump on the head and really, you know, head tie, give it a good head knot. <laughs> But yeah, I think it'd take nine exactly. Looking back at it, I'd say our hypothesis of 10 really wasn't a bad guess after all. Welcome once again to Thanks for the Clamories. Okay, common question that everybody thinks about. How many fourth graders do you think you could take at once? What? I mean, obviously, if you had to fight against a million fourth graders, you'd lose. So, like, what's, what's the real number? Like, what's the legitimate number of fourth graders that you could successfully take on? Let's say a hundred. That sounds reasonable. Oh, no way. A hundred and you're dead. Why are we fighting now? Because they're idiots. Did they say something about my mother? What? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll say yes. Oh, then a baker's dozen. What kind of weapons? Only what's available in the schoolyard. You could really mess up some kids with a chain from a swing. Just da 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 I tell you what I do. I back into a bathroom stall and just start kicking. Dead. 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 Keep coming. Dead. Give him a narrow entry point. Make him come in single file. Dead. Dead. Anyway, I, I guess I'm trying to say 800 fourth graders. Why are we talking about killing kids? People are going to hate this. Peter, do something else quick. I, I'll, uh, uh, what if I play some kick-ass music? It's peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly time. Thank you for listening to another episode. I'm sure many of you will disagree. So hit us up at My Dumb Question on Facebook and Twitter. And tell us how many fourth graders you think you can take at once. And don't forget to join us every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, as we go live on Twitch TV and Facebook to interact with you, Inquisitors. Now, on to Cordero for the closing question. This week's listener-submitted question is, why don't British people like peanut butter? As it turns out, they do like peanut butter, just not as much as Americans do. The reason for the gap may be America's love for the peanut butter and jelly sandwich, the classic dish that American children grow up on. It's cheap, easy to make, and has a great balance of carbs, healthy fats, protein, vitamins, and minerals, and you can eat it on the go. It's the perfect snack. So why don't British people share our love for peanut butter? 
It's because they love their jellies and jams. They don't really like to mix the two as much as Americans do. Peanut butter has been gaining popularity in recent years since being rebranded as a health food. It is now more popular than marmalade and is the third best-selling spread behind honey and jam. I guess you can say their love for peanut butter is spreading. I'll let myself out. Every question is a cry to understand the world. There's no such thing as a dumb question.